Section four of Wellington by George Hooper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter three The Maratha Campaigns. Part one. Tipu's defeat and death had a decisive effect on the politics of the Deccan, because it left the company face to face with one of the most curious contrivances which ever grew up in any country the Maratha Confederacy. There was really no other native power in the peninsula, for Oude was a subject state, and the arrangement with the Nizam placed him under the company's protection, guarded by disciplined troops in the company's service, and paid out of the revenues of the ceded districts, part of the old Mysoru state. The Nizam, therefore, relieved from Maratha oppression, was the ally of the company, and when the Nawab of the Carnatic was reduced to the state of one who reigned but did not govern, the British power had no possible enemy in the Deccan, or indeed beyond it, except the Marathas. They were not what they were in the beginning of the eighteenth century, for the great edifice built up by Sivaji and enlarged by his successors had become a partnership of a remarkable kind. The nominal headship had passed from his race to the Brahmins, who supplanted his descendants. The redoubtable Peshawar received his investiture from the Raja of Satara, who has been likened to the Holy Roman Emperor. But the real power in the Confederacy was his who could seize it, the Peshawa or his minister, if either were strong, and if one or both were weak, Shinda or Holkar, who were not Brahmins. A certain deference was paid in point of form by the audacious partners toward the Peshawa, and he was never set aside. Still, the actual power was sometimes taken from him, and the ceaseless struggle for supremacy led to endless intrigues and frequent destructive wars over an immense extent of territory which lay between the Sutlej and the Bay of Bengal, the Ganges and the Tumbudra, the plains of Nagpur, and the ports on the Western Sea. There was rarely peace in the lands over which the Maratha chiefs held sway, and before as well as after the fall of Tipu Sultan they were engaged in ruthless combats. A great minister at Pune, Nana Furnaviz, had endeavoured, not without success, to uphold the state, but when he died in 1800 all wisdom and moderation departed from the government for Bajirao, the last Peshwa, who substituted cunning and treachery, for those high attributes proved quite unequal even with the aid of nana to contend with the partners who were equally deceitful and far more courageous so that when his minister died he soon fell from his high estate and called in the british to save him from his jealous and overbearing rivals it was this event which brought general wellesley again into the field at the head of an army some years before the death of Tukaji Holkar was followed by a disputed succession. He left two legitimate sons, and Daulat Rao Shinda, supreme at Pune, finding he could not secure the Indor Musnud for one brother, treacherously attacked and murdered the other. But there were also two illegitimate sons. One of these, Vitoji, was trampled to death by an elephant in the presence and with the approval of Bajirao, the other, Jeswant fled, was imprisoned in Berar, escaped to Hindustan, and at once made war on Shinda, whose troops he defeated and whose cities he plundered. 
Shinda therefore hastened to Hindustan, fought, routed, but did not capture Jeswant, who, crossing the Nerbuda and the Tapti, entered the Peshwa's territories. He was a bold, dashing leader of the true Maratha stamp, and the flutter of his flag and the magic of his name brought thousands to his side. He fought his way victoriously through Kandish, and in October 1802 he marched directly on Pune, whither Shinda had sent a detachment of infantry to aid the Peshwa. Jeswant met them on the 25th in battle near the city. There were European officers in command on both sides, a characteristic of a period when, assuredly, adventures were to the adventurous. But the victory which Holkar won that day was due to his own valiant exertions at the head of his horsemen, whom he led in charge after charge upon the infantry and guns. His resolute character may be inferred from the fact that when his troops did not obey his command that they should not enter Pune, he compelled obedience by turning his guns upon them. Bajirao, frightened by the uproar of the battle, fled during the fight to Singur, thence when he knew the result by Mahar to Severndrog on the coast, and finally in a British ship to Bassein, a fort on the mainland opposite the northern end of Salset. Holker, with a spear wound in his body and a sabre cut on his head, which he bore gaily, remained at Pune for a time to rule by torture and robbery. The complex situation which grew out of these sanguinary events had a decisive effect on British policy. The Maratha chiefs suddenly became, one and all, eager for British interference. Holker desired Colonel Close, the resident at Pune, to mediate between the rivals. Bajirao did more. He agreed to the conditions proposed by the Governor-General as the price of his protection, acquiesced in the establishment of a subsidiary force of infantry and guns, assigned territory to meet the cost, bound himself not to employ any Europeans hostile to England, and undertook neither to negotiate with nor make war upon other states without the knowledge and consent of the British government. It was a complete surrender and put him on a level with the Nizam, from whom he could no longer exact tribute, and the Gaikwad also, who had just been drawn within the British system. Shinda, of course, could not have approved a treaty which the Peshua secretly detested, but General Wellesley affirms that the Gwalior chief was informed of the Peshua's negotiations and urged the British government to interfere in the Maratha affairs as the only mode of settling their actual confusion. None of them intended to fulfill the bond, but each hoped in some way to overreach his rival and all to defeat the company. Jeswant Rao alone had no hope, for being illegitimate, he was the natural enemy of all. But trusting to his sword, his valor, his abilities, and being a shining leader of freelances, he fought thenceforth for his own hand and wrote his name so deeply on the military annals of India that his pursuit of Monson is still remembered where Asai and Lanswari are forgotten. The Treaty of Bassein, December 31, 1802, was a masterpiece of policy because it consolidated British power in southern India and settled once for all the question who should ultimately hold the strongest sway in the peninsula. General Wellesley, seated at Seringapatam, had always used his influence on the side of peace, and he even hoped at this period that the Maratha chiefs, if they were actuated by prudential motives, 
would fall in with the new arrangement. They were far from being so inclined, yet they dreaded a rupture or wished to defer one until they could combine. While General Stuart, commander-in-chief in Madras, was collecting troops on the northern frontier of Mysore to fulfil the Treaty of Bassein, Shinda brought his fine army over the Nerbuda, listened to the overtures of Holkar, entered into close relations with the Raja of Berar, and posted himself at Burhanpur, not far from the Nizam's boundary. There he halted in evident hesitation, giving an apparent assent, and betraying no wish to prevent the restoration of the Peshwa under the new conditions. The governor-general believed him to be sincere, because prudence dictated inaction, and while Shinda remained quite remote from Pune, General Wellesley marched up from the south and replaced Bajirao in his capital. He was specially fitted from previous experience in the southern Maratha country to perform the task, and at the request of Lord Clive, General Stuart gave him the command of a mixed European and native force, slightly exceeding 10,000 men, technically called a detachment, but really a small army. It included his own Mysoto troops, which had long been prepared and admirably equipped for any service. Thus, in approaching the rendezvous at Hurihur, he could say in a letter to Colonel Montresor, I get on well, I can march with as much celerity as ever, and with equal if not greater ease. That was because he had obtained good cattle and took care of them, maintained discipline, encouraged the travelling grain-dealers, and protected the natives in his camps as well as in the villages. Again, when he was some distance forward, he tells Colonel Close that his cattle are in good order, adding, I get plenty of forage, and I have little doubt of bringing up my detachment in good style, at least as far as the Kisna. The reason was that he had himself attended to every detail in giving orders, and kept a close watch on the execution of his behests. He crossed the Tumbudra on March 9th, and when he wrote the words we have quoted, he had tried the marching powers of his detachment for a week. The general plan of operations adopted was that Colonel Stevenson, with the Hyderabad subsidiary contingent and the Nizam's troops, should move up to the river Sina at Purinda on the frontier toward Pune and that Wellesley should march northward as rapidly as possible, connect himself with Stevenson, who was to be under his orders, and enter the Maratha capital. The distance to be traversed was over five hundred, Wellesley says nearly six hundred miles, and it was covered in forty-two days. He moved his army by Darwad to Erur on the Kisna, and thence to Merich, a march beyond the river. Here he turned off to his right in a north-easterly direction, heading for Panderpur, but he did not proceed as far east as that fort, having found it more expedient to effect a junction with Stevenson near the confluence of the Nira and the Bima. Then, leaving the Hyderabad contingent on the left bank of the latter stream, he turned to the westward by Baramuti and Jejori, and made his way with some loss of transport and cattle through the rugged roadless hills, descending on Pune from the eastern side. He arrived with his cattle much the worse for the wear, for after crossing the Kistna the route of the army lay through a region desolated by the bands of Holker. They have not left a stick standing at the distance of 150 miles from Pune, they have eaten the forage and grain, 
have pulled down the houses and used the material as firewood and the inhabitants have fled with their cattle excepting in one village i have not seen a human creature since i quitted the neighbourhood of marriage such was Maratha warfare as depicted by wellesley to his brother in the last march with the cavalry only he rode sixty miles in thirty-two hours for there came a report to his camp on april nineteenth that amrit rao who held Pune for jeswant rao holker intended to burn the city therefore wellesley went off at once and moving all night did not halt until he had entered the place on the following morning the Maratha chief did not fulfil his threat as he wished to make terms for himself so he prudently decamped going out on the northern road a few hours before wellesley's tired troopers came in sight of the peshwa's palace the infantry did not come up until the twenty first major john malcolm sent by lord wellesley joined and was heartily welcomed by his friend the general at hubli and both were skilful enough to conciliate the principal southern mahratta sirdars who hated and distrusted the peshwa as much as they trusted the word of the british they even led their troops to Pune, and it was partly through their influence and partly through confidence in wellesley that during this long march the people remained in their villages that the bazaars were well supplied and that the long line of communication was uninterrupted on march thirtieth he was thus able to write after stating the alternative before him in any one of these cases i hope to reach Pune about the twentieth of april the very day of his advent on the line of march he had thought of the future not only establishing posts but enjoining the construction of basket-boats and the establishment of boatmen so as to secure the passage of the rivers and maintain his communication with stuart when the monsoon broke and almost his first care on reaching Pune was to direct the manufacture of pontoons at bombay the pontoons he had so longed for when chasing dandiawag three years before the government did not then sanction his demand or approve his suggestion now he was able to secure assent to his request for the movable bridges which he so justly said would give him an immense advantage over the native armies during the season of rain so far the enterprise had been rapidly and successfully executed the next steps were to hasten the arrival of the peshwa from Bassein and establish a new line of communication by the goats through panwell with bombay wellesley marched a few miles to the westward but soon halted because his absence caused alarm in Pune, not yet recovered from dread of holker's marauders there is or was twenty years ago a foolish tradition in the hills that wellesley in great straits flung two guns into a tank but the guns so abandoned belonged to colonel coburn's force the rear guard of which under hartley fought such a brilliant action fourteen years before near wargaum the general did not encamp near the Borgoat, but a huge rock at kandala still bears the name of the duke's nose in eighteen o three it looked down on the rough military road as it wound up the hills from the kunkan now it towers above the famous railway which running straight up from kalyan has not wholly superseded the highway from Pune to panwell in eighteen seventy a venerable elephant was killed on the bombay flats and ordered that his skeleton might be placed in the museum he was reputed to be the last survivor of arthur wellesley's transport train more than a fortnight elapsed before baji rao passed up the goats a delay which vexed the impetuous malcolm and increased the anxieties of his sober comrade 
for Holker had moved upon Aurangabad, and Stevenson was sent towards the Godaveri to keep him in check, and it was still a question whether the Maratha chiefs would combine either for a dash into the Nizam's territories or upon Pune. Wellesley judged that they would not be able to settle their personal differences, yet saw clearly that in any case they should be prevented from raiding to the southward. Malcolm, and his expressions paint the moment, said, If Bajirao were at all practicable, I should have no fears, but I apprehend much from the weakness and depravity of his character. In addition, Colonel Collins, the British agent with Shinde, did not discourage the suggested advance of that chief to Pune, thus increasing the confusion and the danger. Nor was the apparent and perhaps real peril much diminished by the advent of the Peshawar, who entered his capital on Friday, May 13th, for Wellesley was detained another three weeks before he was free to approach Stevenson, avert the calamity of an inroad, and bring the pending questions to a final issue. The delay was not wholly due to Maratha double-dealing, since he had to get European iron from Bombay to repair his gun carriages, and he says in a letter to General Stuart, June 2nd, I have made 150 wheels since I came here. But at that moment he thought himself better equipped in respect of carriages than he was when he started from Hurihur. The army marched northward on June 4th and speedily fell under the exacting exigencies of Indian campaigning. There was no forage on the ground, the cattle belonging to the native dealers died, the dealers themselves, whom he had so well treated, played him false, and he felt keenly the absence of the Maratha horse, detained by the intrigues and duplicities of the Peshawa. But some few arrived by degrees, and after a period of relative privation, his prospects of supply improved. Still, he thought, the army would have fared better in an enemy's country, for the peasants, uncertain who was to be master, concealed their grain, and what was obtained had to be dug out of pits. Neither Pune nor Bombay promptly satisfied his wants. He talked of falling back and of the folly of operating so many hundreds of miles from an assured base in Mysoru. His situation, indeed, during the months of June and July was very embarrassing. In his rear was a ruler at Pune whom he could not trust. The character of the Peshawas government he found to be deceit. Bajirao promised much and performed nothing, and was moreover in treacherous correspondence with his late enemies. Amrut Rao, it is true, listened to persuasive arguments and ultimately brought his troops into the British camp, while Hoker, mistrusting all sides, especially the two Marathas, set out for Malva with his store of plunder. But in Wellesley's front, south of the Tapti, for Shinda, who had been joined by the Raja of Berar, had come on to the edge of the Nizam's frontier, were two powerful armies. The aim of Shinda was to defer hostilities until the rain ceased and the rivers fell, so that he might move with freedom in any direction. Therefore he evaded a plain answer to the questions addressed to him by Lord Wellesley's agent, and prepared for war, at his own time, with Lord Wellesley's brother. Such a state of suspense became at length intolerable, and it was brought to an end so soon as the general was entrusted with powers as a political agent sufficiently large to warrant a policy of decision. In the middle of July those powers arrived in his camp, and he did not let them rust. A steady advocate of peace, he had done all he could to preserve it. 
but when the objects of shinda became apparent he went straight to the mark he summoned shinda to prove the sincerity of his friendly professions by withdrawing into hindustan and the rajah of berar to manifest his good will by retiring to nagpur both said they did not intend to fight or oppose the fulfilment of the treaty of Bassein. if you are sincere in this declaration of your friendly intentions said wellesley there appears to be no occasion for assembling your army and joining it with that of the rajah of berar on the nizam frontier the thrust went home when you shall have withdrawn your troops to their usual stations beyond the nirbuda continued the general i also shall draw back those under my command to their usual stations if the proof of sincerity were not given then the confederates would be attacked colonel collins was ordered to press for an explicit reply and retire if one were not given the strong and simple language of the general sharply wound up the long delay at the beginning of august he had moved his army to walki six miles south of ahmednugar a fort held for shinda it was there he received the preposterous counter-propositions of the maratha chiefs they were to retire to burhanpur when the british and allied armies had reached their stations in madras silingapatam and bombay wellesley's reply was prompt and plain on august sixth characterizing the proposal as inadmissible and unreasonable he put his case in a few energetic words i offered you peace upon terms of equality and honourable to all parties you have chosen war and are responsible for all the consequences such a downright negotiator who planted himself squarely on the facts who meant what he said and spoke with frank simplicity proved fatal to the game of maratha evasion as swift in action as he was plain in speech wellesley at once directed the british troops in guzarat to attack shinda's garrisons and moved up to ahmednugar on august eighth that very day he stormed the Patah or fortified suburb which was defended by a body of arabs and a battalion of shinda's regular infantry the lofty walls had no ramparts so when the stormers climbed up they had no ground on which they could stand yet they held on drove the defenders to the houses and finally after a brisk and gallant contest expelled them from the place the next day a battery for four guns was built which opened on the tenth was so destructive that the governor notified his desire to treat he wished that the cannonade should be stayed but i told him that i should not cease firing till i should have taken the fort or he should have surrendered it finally he was allowed to depart with the garrison and his own private property and on the twelfth he marched out with fourteen hundred men and the british troops marched in the success was rapid and the loss not great thirty killed including four british officers and one hundred and eleven wounded the fort thus swiftly captured was the strongest in the country and in the general's opinion only less formidable than velour its possession secured the line of advance and the sharp stroke gave its conqueror a moral ascendancy he always retained no time was lost in dispatching the troops to the godaveri which they crossed at toka to support colonel stevenson who it will be remembered was north of aurungabad watching the marathas wellesley himself having much business to transact and letters to write did not reach toka until the twenty second for he had to communicate with Pune on many things with the bombay government which did not work well with him 
but as usual was disposed to fight for its own hand with general stuart who did sustain him in the most ample and ungrudging spirit who sent him reinforcements and took care to preserve the southern line of communication through the nizam's western districts arrived at toka he pushed on to aurangabad which he entered on the twenty ninth at a critical moment he learned that Shinda had deceived his antagonist and had broken into the nizam's country the task which stevenson had to perform was arduous in his front were the ranges of hills which ran up from the Tapti valley they were like all such apparent barriers passable at more than one point stevenson had carefully watched the agenta goat the most likely route but he had also to keep an eye on the opening at badula farther east these passages could not both be guarded being too far apart shinda took advantage of this condition he ostentatiously rode off with his horsemen toward badula and when he found that his opponent made a corresponding movement on the other side of the range the mahratta turned in his track sped swiftly to agenta rapidly crossed the hills swooped down upon jolna by the valley of the purna and put himself between stevenson and aurangabad the danger was that he would dash over the godavari and make for hyderabad it was not great however for although on hearing of wellesley's advent he went farther eastward still when the general at once marched to the godavari at rakasbam the mahratta retired northward upon the line leading back to agenta it was a prudent step since he had only horsemen and stevenson coming down from badula not only recovered jalna but harassed his camps by night attacks these incidents occurred between august twenty second and september ninth the reason for wellesley's apprehension respecting hyderabad was that the godavari suddenly fell and became fordable anywhere End of section four